Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from February 27th, 2022. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, church family. We welcome you to our services here at Ackland this morning. We are thankful that you are here. We will get started this morning with a reading out of the 34th chapter of Exodus, starting in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he had come out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful as a community this morning, as a portion of your church, that we can come into your presence, Lord, Uh, that as we come to worship, as we gather here, that you are in our presence, Lord. Lord, we pray that you just infill this space this morning, infill our hearts uh, as we lift our our voices to you, Lord. be, Be with us in this time of worship this morning. Lord, we're thankful for your son. It's through his name we pray. Amen. A reading from Psalm 99. The Lord reigns, but the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. And they called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. He kept his statues and the decrees he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain. 
for the Lord our God is holy. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather in your presence today, we praise you as the Holy One who answers the prayers of your people. Our hearts are heavy this morning as we think of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We ask you, Lord, to wrap them in your arms of protection and comfort. We lift up Lena's family and pray that you will provide them with safety and with hope in the face of so much fear. Your scriptures tell us in Isaiah that swords will be beaten into plowshares and nations will no longer take up sword against nation. And we ask you, Lord, how long? How long until this day comes? We pray for peace to come quickly. We pray for relief from the fear and the violence both in Ukraine and in all conflicts across the world. Lord, we also lift up the sick, those who are hurting, those who are healing. Be with Mary Ann during her surgery tomorrow, with Tricia and Val as they recover, for Dan Harden as he recovers from his fall, for Shelly Green's health concerns. We continue to remember Christy, Chuck, Beth, and Jean, and we lift up all those in cancer treatment. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and thank you for your love for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. It is so good to see everybody. What a great day to be together. This morning is Transfiguration Sunday, the one Sunday every year where we consider the amazing story of the Transfiguration and all that happened there and how that fits uh, into the, the liturgical year, the lectionary cycle. So we've been in the season of Epiphany where we've contemplated the fact, the truth, the reality that our God has come near and lived among us in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. And that Jesus is not just a person, but Jesus is the Christ. And as we behold Jesus, we've read all these stories about Jesus beckoning us to follow him and to become like him as we follow him. And Jesus has been giving us these practices, these very complicated practices about loving our enemies and judging fairly and being people that are reconciling. And, and, and these are challenging practices, but it's within these practices that we become more like Jesus. That we're not just people that assemble as church, but we are disciples of Jesus. You know, a few years ago, uh, a buddy of mine led me to the work of, of John Mark Comer, who is a, a preacher out in the Portland, Oregon area. He wrote the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I read over Christmas break, a really good book. And a, a good introduction to his work was a a recent Tokens podcast that Lee Camp interviewed him, but one of the things that John Mark Comer says is that every congregation has a theory of how change works. Every congregation has a theory of how change works. Basically, how do we become more like Jesus? And if you think about that, we all have theories of how change happens, how a strategy leads us to that change. So if you want to lose 15 pounds, if you want to get better in shape, 
if you want to learn how to play the piano or learn how to serve a volleyball correctly or whatever it is, right? Learn how to program. You have a theory of what is going to lead you into that type of change. And whatever we think that is, that's the thing that we think is going to lead us there. The problem is, though, that too many of us, and this is at least the last 500 years in the West, we believe that it's, we think our way into change. The more we think about something, the more we are likely to be the type of person we want to be. But in another book I really love by Jamie Smith entitled, You Are What You Love, he talks about how this enlightenment notion of I think therefore I am really does not get to the root of it and we don't think our way into change as much as as much as love our way into change think about it how often in the last few years have you seen people say what they think but not do what they think people say um, this is what I think about this related to the pandemic right but their their behavior doesn't always line up with that or even Something more easily to access, you know, I think I need to get in shape. They think that all the time, but they never do anything, right, to, to, to get into shape. Thinking doesn't lead us to change as, as much as we might wish it did. But Smith talks about in our book how what f comes first is we love something, and then there are practices that build upon that which we love. Like you love you learn to love healthy eating. You learn to love the type of person you are when you eat healthy. And it's that love that drives the practices that gets you to do that. This morning, I want us to think about what is our theory of change? What is our belief on what it would take for us to become like Jesus? Do we think our way into it or do we love our way into it? And what type of love drives us to what type of practices? And how does that work? How do we become like Jesus? I think most Christians have some sense that the strategy for coming like Jesus is, is we go to church. And that is a wonderful thing. Obviously, I spend a lot of my life thinking about our church gatherings. And, and going to church is a good thing. And I believe the things we do together do help us become more like Jesus. And yet, one day of practices is, is not enough to do it. One day of praxis is not enough to become like Jesus. I've had a lot of friends point the finger at me in recent years, especially people that are like, you're a preacher, you're a representative of the Christian faith, and they point at me and they say, JP, what has gotten into the Christian church these days? You know, they, what? And, and they see something on the news or some group of people does something and they happen to wave the name Jesus on a sign or something, and then my friends come to me and say, what is going on? And I say, listen, and this is me teasing, by the way, but I'm kind of serious. <laughs> I say, listen, I get them one day a week. Twitter gets them seven days a week. I can't compete with that. <laughs> I get them one day a week. Facebook gets them seven days a week. I can't compete with that. Their podcasts are always there. They listen to me for 15 minutes, 20 of it's pretty good material, right? Can't compete with that. And tongue-in-cheek, because obviously it's not any preacher, it's the Holy Spirit, it's our divine practices, but practices one day a week are not enough to compete with the ways of this world, but rather it's daily practices based on our love. See, that's what the season of Epiphany is all about, for us to truly contemplate the reality that God has come near and to invoke the passions of our heart to love God, 
to have this heart motivation for the practices of Jesus. You know, this is one reason why in our small groups this year we've read Tish Harrison Warren's The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Because her book and her wisdom reminds us that it's in daily, everyday practices that you learn to become like Jesus. It's how we wake up. It's how we fall asleep. She has a chapter on how you eat leftovers. And you're like, how can you fill up a whole chapter on that? And yet she does. Because it's the daily practices of our life that usher us into what it means to live like Jesus every day. And those practices change us over time. We're not saved by our practices, and yet it's how the Holy Spirit works in these practices that make us like God. So with that backdrop, here is some good news for us. While in the West, since the Enlightenment, we've forgotten some of these things, the historic Christian church has always known this. And from very early on in Christian history, the church understood this, and they incorporated the practice of Lent as a strategy that will help make us like Jesus. I always thought the word Lent was a very mysterious word growing up. But it's just the Latin word for 40th. So if you don't like the word Lent, just say 40th. We're in the season of 40th. <laughs> and it's just 40 days until Easter. And you know that uh, in, in the scriptures, 40 is always a big number, right? The children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And then later Jesus reenacts this with 40 days uh, in the wilderness. As he resists the temptations of the devil. That's our scripture for next week, by the way. A lot of you probably are already anticipating that. But the season of Lent basically says, it invites us into this rhythm of, we have Transfiguration Sunday, where we contemplate the reality of who Jesus is. And it is a mountaintop experience where we relish the reality of God. And when we truly see Jesus face to face, as, as Isaiah says, it's, we feel like we're just filthy rags, right? And so traditionally the Christian church, went, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Ash was simply associated with the idea of repentance. And if you're a good church of Christ, which I hope you are, right? Nothing rings truer than confession and repentance, right? Once again, kind of a joke, kind of not. But deep down, this is the thing we rally around, right? That our contemplation of God drives us to repentance that's what Ash Wednesday is historically associated with. And it's at that time or around that time that people commit to certain practices that they promise to do leading up into Easter. And when you do that, and by the way, it's not a biblical command, but when you do it, <laughs> when you do it, Easter will take on so much joy. It'll be the best Easter you've ever had. Whether or not Larry leads low in the grave he lay. Either way, it'll be the best Easter you've ever had when you truly experience it through the lens of a good Lent. So this morning, before we go into this great journey of the 40 days, may we remember the Transfiguration story and then may that inspire us this morning. So if you would stand with me for the reading this morning, it comes from Luke chapter 9. It's on the inside of the bulletin. If you'd like to join me in the bold section, feel free. Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. Together, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Thank you. They spoke about his departure, 
which he was about to bring to the fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Together, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Thank you. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the transfiguration story is one of the most mysterious stories in all the Bible. When Jesus kind of opens up the clothing, it's, it's the Clark Kent revealing that he is indeed Superman. Like all the things they wondered about him, he demonstrates that it is indeed true. In the Luke version of this, if we look at the context of the stories going around, it reminds us why Jesus does it at this specific time. Earlier in the chapter, Peter has become the first apostle to say, I think you're the Messiah. And it is a turning point in the gospel when one of the apostles, Peter, finally claims him and confesses him as Messiah. But then Jesus tells them something they are not prepared to hear, and that is, He's not just the Messiah, but he will be a suffering Messiah. That he will suffer and die for human sin. And not just him, but he invites them to pick up and carry their cross as well. And that is what none of them wanted, none of them expected, none of them were looking forward to. And quite honestly, it's the thing we like the least about the Christian gospel too. To take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's likely impossible for us to imagine how devastating that would have been for them. And so anticipating the dread of this, he looks at him and he's like, man, that must have been tough to hear. So I'm going to give them an experience that will sustain them through the hard truth of what I just told them. And that's what the transfiguration is. It is the mountain that sustains you in the valley. So this morning, I want to invite you to do uh, an exercise together. Um, I should have grabbed two people for it. Brian and Henry, do you mind doing this? Or, or Mary Paula, whomever can help. I forgot them. I think they're on my pew. Beth, there's there some note cards. I think I forgot to bring them up with me. Henry and Brian, if you can pass out a note card to everyone uh, this morning for an exercise that I'm going to invite us to do. So I'd like everyone to take a note card um, this morning. And this Sunday, what I want you to do, and you can do this this morning or you can do this later at home. I want you to, at the top of the note card, I want you to write down a transfiguration experience you have had. A mountaintop experience you have had with God. And then at some point this week, whether that be later on today or Ash Wednesday or next week when we consider Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness against Satan, I would like to invite you, it's not a requirement, but I would like to invite you to commit to some 40th practices. Maybe some fasting or some type of habit to commit to. And it'd be different for everybody. We can talk about different examples and stuff. No two people are the same. But I want you to write a transfiguration experience at the top and then a valley or some type of practice for the valley at the bottom. Because... It is going to be incredibly challenging 
to have a successful Lent, and by successful, one that draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become like him, without remembering the transfiguration. It's too hard. The valley's too dark. It's too deep. And you're going to need to remember the transfiguration before you go through it. So I want to share a couple of my mountaintop experiences of the past year. Remember, mountains are rare. I have friends that have mountaintop experiences often, and I struggle to like them <laughs> because I'm jealous. And I've always wanted to be one of those Christians that had mountaintop experiences frequently. Now, some of you, I'm going to tell stories this morning, you're going to be like, that's happened to me like once in my life. And I, I do feel blessed because I have a couple of mountaintop experiences a year. Now, I want to be clear. Every time the church is together, I feel joy. Every time I walk in nature, I feel the presence of God. When I'm hanging out with my family, I feel the Lord's strength. But I'm not just talking about the presence of God, but a mountaintop experience of God. And the language that I've been drawn to for at least the last 15 years or so is, is the language of John Wesley. And he talked about, he was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on Romans, and he said suddenly his heart was strangely warmed. And I tell you, I feel the presence of God often, but it's only a few times a year that my heart is strangely warmed. And what I mean by that is it's as if my rib cage has come open and the Holy Spirit has come in, and it's as if the Lord God has walked into the room. And it doesn't last long. But it's, it's one of the greatest joys that we can have in this life. So I would tell you two, two experiences I've had in the past year. So this past summer, during Mission Week, um, Ryan Thornton's sister came into town, Sam. And Sam and her friend, Nalco, a few years ago, started a ministry um, towards the Japanese community in Atlanta, Georgia. So Japanese businessmen will move to Atlanta for a few years working with various companies. It's normally temporary, you know, three to five years, and then they move back to Japan. And while they're here, normally the way these situations work is the, the husband is the breadwinner, the wife's stay-at-home mom, and they're trying to figure out how to adapt to American society for three or four years, and they're kind of curious about what's going on. And so Sam and her, her friend Naoko, who's, who is Japanese, developed this ministry where they would get Japanese kids together and talk to them about American culture and take them to museums and to fun places, but also kind of unashamedly and upfront, we'll tell you about Jesus. And a lot of Japanese folks are, are curious about Christianity and various things. And, um, and they have so many stories of things that have happened. And so Sam and her kids and Naoko and her kids came to Mission Week one night and we were out in my driveway. And uh, they were telling us all about their ministry, and the night was going well. They had brought all kinds of, like, Japanese snacks and stuff, and we were trying all this great food, and we were having fun together and playing games. And then, and then Naoko's daughter got up and spoke. Ron, what's her name? Anna. Anna. Naoko's daughter, Anna. And Anna's how old? 15? Yeah. Probably 15 years old, something like that. And she got up. And she started telling stories about when she lived in Japan. And she was following Jesus in Japan. And it's a very tiny minority of Japan that are Christian followers. Most of them are um, into Shintoism, right? And so um, I think I got that right. But anyway, very tiny minority that is Christian. And she talked about the cost of discipleship for her in Japan. And she talked about there was... An activity in school 
that she had to be, because of her faith in Jesus, she had to be a conscientious objector to, and she had to sit out of it because she's a Christian. She didn't create a big wave, like no one was mean to her, but because of her Christian faith, she just couldn't participate in this specific activity. And she talked about how that made her realize she was different than all of her friends that, that weren't believers, but yet how it was worth it to her to be a light of Jesus in that place and how she wanted more than anything was to share the love of Jesus with everyone. And then she just proclaimed the gospel and just like she was bubbly and giddy and she just said, Jesus loves us so much and I can't imagine my life without Jesus. And then suddenly, Holy Spirit just smacked me upside the head and my heart was strangely warmed, and I didn't, it was, the night was going great, like I didn't anticipate anything like this to happen, but then suddenly as she was proclaiming the gospel, man, it just got to me, and I could feel, it was one of those, I could feel angels among us, and all of a sudden I, I was, you know, before I was like, I believe what she's saying, but then suddenly I was like, this is the most important thing that has ever been said. This is the truest thing. This is truer than two plus two equals four. And I wish everyone that I've ever known in my entire life could hear her talking right now because this is the mouthpiece of the Holy God. And it's just I lay awake that night thinking about it. And it, was, and it wasn't her, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through her. And, and by the way, we're excited to be involved with that ministry supporting that ministry some financially in, in our budget this year and we have plans that they're going to bring up some japanese teenagers to nashville we're going to do some activities with them they may be going to work camp with us this year we're kind of working on some logistics but some exciting things we're hoping for and i'll give you another one that just happened last month and this one comes out of tragedy and this is why it's so mysterious how the lord god works but a teenager of mine when i was a teenager in, uh, when i was a youth minister in smyrna um passed away from cancer, 28 years old, which is devastating. What, what 28 year old dies of cancer, you know? And, but I've been talking to him as, as hospice had come in and I've been talking to his brother, his brother's 25 and, and they wanted me to speak at the funeral. And um, it was one of those, have you ever gone to a funeral and you're like, I have no idea what's gonna happen when I walk in these doors. This could go a lot of different directions. Like I totally had that sense, you know? And they told me it was gonna start at four on a Sunday afternoon. And so I showed up, I showed up at 3.45 and it had been already going on for a long time. <laughs> and and uh, it was a small church about half the size of this. And the preacher was um, preaching in Spanish because um, this, this family was, um, and the kids were born here, but it's an immigrant family. Anyway, um, they, the kids spoke Spanish and English, but the preacher was in Spanish. I think it was the mom's church. And it was being translated into English, and I looked around the room, and it was all, it was all like biker people, like mechanics and stuff. Because my friend Ivan had been uh, really into cars. I remember when he was a teenager, he was always like souping up cars and working on. He loved to like mess with Honda Civics and like do stuff to them. And um, he was he had been working as a aircraft mechanic at the airport for a number of years, and so everybody in the room was in that crowd of like tinkering with cars and like motorbikes and it was like all that that type of crowd and they're all young so it was like a funeral service and it was like all people in their 20s with like all kinds of tattoos and earrings and like all this i mean i love us i'm just trying to set the scene for you right you know and um 
And this, this preacher, I, I know very little Spanish, right, un, un poco, but it was being translated. But it was more than just what he said. It was, it was the ambiance of this preacher. And he was so sensitive and he was so kind. And he was talking about stories of Ivan and he was talking about his family. And he was talking about how he had, had been ministering to the family and how Ivan had put his, put his faith in Jesus and kind of returned to, to Jesus um, you know, kind of the last year of his life. He's telling all these stories and and then he starts proclaiming the gospel. And he said, the creator of the world came back to the planet in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And God was among us and God did not abandon you. And God loved every single one of you in this room. And no matter what you have done, you can never be separated from the love of God. Now, what you know, God loves you and God died for you. And I look around and everybody in the audience is like, they're all nodding their head like this is the truest thing they have ever been told. They all have tears coming out of their eyes and tears of joy. And they're all nodding. And they're like moving around while he's talking. They're like moving around. hugging. It's one of the most fascinating funerals um, I've ever been to. And he said, your best days in life are ahead of you. And we will see Ivan face to face in the new heavens, new earth. And we will all be together like this. And it happened again. My rib cage just burst open and the presence of the Holy God came and I experienced, my heart was strangely warmed and it was this amazing experience of the Holy Spirit which completely surprised me because it was one of the saddest things I've ever experienced like his five like they were all taking turns holding the five year old daughter who's now grown up without I mean it was a completely tragic thing, like we're all crying and yet I have this euphoric sensation that God is more real than God has ever been at that moment. It was incredible. <laughs> and as this time, he gets done, and my buddy who's on the front row, the brother, turns and says, come on up here. And I'm like, dang it, I have to go up and try to say something after that, which was not nearly as good. But it was an amazing moving experience. And so I just want to ask you this morning, what is your transfiguration moment and I want you to write that on the note card now or later today or maybe this week some of you may be thinking I don't know that I've had a story like that I think you have I think there's a time you were out walking in your neighborhood and you saw a young mother pushing a stroller and you saw a little baby and that baby just made you smile and you thought to yourself God is good I think you were hiking in the Smoky Mountains and you saw some mountain laurel in mid-June and it made you think of when you went on a hike with your grandparents a year before and that mountain laurel was so beautiful it took your breath away and for just a second you thought you couldn't breathe. You know what I think it was for some of you? It's when you got the vaccine. We prayed about that, didn't we? Did we not pray for the development of that vaccine and we longed for it and we wanted it and when you first when you got that first shot and you were so excited and you put it on Instagram and you said, the great physician has come among us. And I finally got the vaccine. For some of us, it was church camp. I remember going to church camp as a teenager and I know talking to some of you who have come up to me one night at church camp and you say, JP, I don't know what happened, but something just happened and my chest feels funny. <laughs> and I smiled and I said, I think your heart is strangely warmed. And you looked at me and said, this is the weirdest guy I've ever met. <laughs> but I think you have had a transfiguration moment. And I want you to know, 
the memory of that will sustain you through the valley because the valley is hard. The valley is hard. God is present with us in that valley. We are never alone. Sometimes the experience of that presence may not be as loud in the valley. So I want you to never forget the transfiguration. Because, notice what he says, what God the Father says. Listen to him. For it's in that moment that we can truly listen to God. And when we truly listen to God, what is God saying? God is saying, I am real. I love you. And I'm with you. I am real. I love you. And I'm with you. And the more transfiguration experiences you have, the more love you have for God, for the practices of God, prayer and fasting and scripture and solitude and time and nature and meditation. And then the more you do the practices, the more transfiguration moments you have and the more transfiguration moments you have, the more practices you devote yourself and the more practices you devote yourself to, the more transfiguration experiences you have. And that is the feedback loop of discipleship. And that is why when we talk about the dear families who have led this church for so many years, we always got the sense that they had had some mysterious conversation with God that for some reason we weren't there when they had that conversation with God. It's because they had loved God and they devoted themselves to the practices of following Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. As we follow Jesus, it will get better and better and better and better and better until we see him face to face. So this morning I want you to write down a transfiguration experience and then next week, we'll talk about various practices. And may we not see this as some type of legalistic burden. May we see this as the Christian church's strategy for change. This is how we will become more like Jesus. And knowing Jesus is our salvation. May we now draw near to the table of our God. Church. I'm going to read from Romans 8, starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have called according to his purpose. For God foreknew his, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, I was, I'm, I always feel moved in the recent months when I come here and sit amongst you all and being in front of you all. And when I think of mountaintop moments, uh, I think of moments here, um, especially in the last few months. And I'm so grateful. But I also realize that some of the times when I've been most sensitive to those mountaintop moments is because of the suffering and the, and the struggles that I've had currently or um, the loss that I've faced. And so I, I guess I just call that is a that's a practice. <laughs> I think that's a spiritual uh, loop as, or a, a fellowship loop, as uh, JP put it, where we're called to suffer. Uh, and when we suffer, we, be, we draw closer to what Jesus did, what Jesus does. And um, that enables, it enables us to see the mountaintop. I think of Peter, James, and John on that mountain. They hadn't been living luxuriously, <laughs> walking with Jesus. Uh, it had been a difficult road. I, I envisioned them being really dirty, not really knowing where they're going to sleep every night. Uh, frustrated at not understanding who exactly Jesus was the whole time, being frightened by it, being excited by it, um, and maybe we are in those in those same draws, those same movements of suffering in different ways, um, and there's purpose behind it, and it's preparing us for that mountaintop. Uh, if you bow with me, Father, we see you as King. We know that you have dominion over all the earth. We are so grateful to be in your presence, uh, to be together in fellowship, acknowledging you as one God, uh, now and forever, that your son, all God and all human, came and sacrificed himself um, for the sake of us, um, died, and then three days later was rose again. And as we honor him on this table, give us peace um, to know that the suffering ahead prepares us for the beautiful mountaintops. In your son Jesus' name, amen.
since we've lost the cup. Father, um, we're excited for the opportunities that are ahead of us, that are in front of us today as we celebrate people in our lives, uh, the people of our community, um, new life uh, that you see as holy and innocent and pure. We're excited for just the opportunity to do that in a safe place. We remember um, and we don't take for granted the, the comforts that we have as we enjoy those. Help us to uh, mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. Uh, thank you for your cup, um, the shedding of your blood that gives us salvation. In Jesus' name. Closing reading today is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. 
We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for another day. We thank you for this fellowship. We thank you for all of the blessings that come from it. Uh, we ask that those blessings uh, spread throughout the world uh, from here through our daily lives. Um, at this time, we ask that you be with those who are in need, as it should be with those in Ukraine, uh, and to watch over them, uh, that the spirit may move there, that freedom may be found there. And we ask that you be with all those who are uh, in, in need of care, all those who are suffering, and we ask that you watch over them as well. Please keep us all safe and watch over us always. In your son's name, amen. Today. Good morning. Um, it's my turn to do announcements. Fun for me, maybe not for y'all. But um, anyways, um, happy birthday to Jack Sternberg. Woohoo! 16. All right, let's go. Um, we've got two sets of birthday twins this week, as you'll notice uh, Melissa and Avila, and Matt and Dot. So happy birthday, y'all. And also, happy birthday, Esther. 12th. Way to go. Um, we're just getting older and older that must mean something about the rest of us that I don't want to think about but um, please join us today for Erica and Austin's uh, baby shower that's gonna be at the Conways from 2 to 4 um, everybody's invited I think there are ways you can do that in a in a distanced sort of way I think Matt we will be masking I believe I'm looking at Erica um, just for that um, so you know come it's gonna be awesome um, everybody is welcome um, just some quick little highlights. Um, there is Wednesday gathering. Small groups are also this week. Those are ways to kind of connect. Um, if you would like to uh, volunteer in some way, um, there is a Fall, Fall Hamilton parking lot thing, as well as a little pantry, um, stuff that continues to be done. Talk to Aaron about curling. Um, if you want to curl, um, there is a place to go curling in Nashville. Um, and uh, if you've been fascinated by, like, what is that? Um, there's going to be an exploration, I think, uh, uh, in-person ex exploration of what that means to curl. Um, uh, so yeah, talk to Aaron. Um, it should be a lot of fun. I think, I think JP might be the most pumped person in this room about that. <laughs> 
um, uh, which is very infectious, I think. Um, let me see, uh, what else we got? Um, just note that, that next week there is the new quarter of classes. Um, there's plenty there in the bulletin, don't miss it. Um, just kind of an update about the COVID protocol stuff. Um, you probably saw an email this week. Um, we're, so the health teams met, met. they've kind of given us a, a lot of advice. Next week we will actually be singing in church. Um, we will still be wearing masks. However, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, and it's difficult to keep this all straight, um, uh, if the numbers continue to go in the right direction, as we have been before, we, we may be with that. We may do a mask optional service, or, or we're, we're working through that. Um, and I would just ask um, everybody to pray about that, um, and, and talk to us about that. Um, how that how that makes you feel. Um, you know what you're where you're at. Um, health is like a very holistic thing, right? There is emotional health, there's spiritual health, there's physical health. Um, and we have to really kind of address all of that. Um, and it's been, it's been a struggle. I mean, I've lost sleep this week. Just thinking about this code protocol, like this, you know, there's gonna be donuts next week and I'm losing my sleep. <laughs> um, you know, this is difficult decision making. Um, because a lot of people are in different places, um, and um, I just I, I would solicit your prayers, um, and just I thank you so much for your patience, um, and uh, as we just kind of try to figure out how to walk together, um, it's really difficult. Um, is there anything else, Brian? Uh, be on the lookout for a sign up for meal for Marianne post surgery Monday. And I know she's not very, she hasn't had a chance to get established in a, in a new congregation, really. And so we're, I'm going to have that set up for her for meals and stuff. Okay, great, great. So, yeah, so if you didn't catch that, there, there's going to be a sign-up for Marianne um, because her, her, her surgery's tomorrow, right? Yeah, she's yeah. just been having to work every weekend. Yes, yeah. Right. There's going to be like a, a four week. I think she may have emailed the church four weeks off, which is which is important. I hope she and we're 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 thankful that like the community has just kind of rallied around her and she's able to take that time off because she really needs to be able to heal. Uh, is there anybody else got any else, anything else we need to share, Sarah? Okay, yeah, prayer, could just continue prayers for Lena. Um, there has been strategizing of how we can try to help their family. It's still in process. This is it's too soon to just send money because the money may not get there. <laughs> so, so just be praying about that too, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. The Lord will deliver. Shannon? Just an update on my aunt. That she, we thought she would die, and then she got better, and we thought she died, and she got better. And She's just gotten better. She's just gotten better. So, yeah, thank you everyone for your prayers. Um, yeah. yeah. God, yeah. <laughs> God's good. <Yeah. laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, if there's nothing else, I'm looking for hands. No hands. Okay. Um, there is coffee and class. So, enjoy. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, 
Our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.